Thanks for making the trek in this morning with the, uh, the uh, winter weather and the snowstorm. In fact, uh, a lot of times during this uh, time of year, there'll be like a common meme that's passed around, um, that, you know, about Michigan weather and traveling on Michigan roads in the middle of the winter is kind of like, let's play that game, uh, whose lane is it anyway, right? <laughs> Uh, who, whose lane it is anyway, because sometimes you just don't know, uh, and it's, it's just gusting, and, and in fact, even dropping the kids off to school on Thursday was kind of like that. It was just, uh, just coming like crazy, uh, falling really fast, and you can't see a whole lot in front of you. And of course, for us, it's we're, we're, we're traveling, and you can't see a whole lot in front of you, and especially when you're traveling on uh, country roads, and there's cornfields on the, you know, there's fields that are plowed and are now they're covered in snow on either side. It's like, where is the road? Uh, and at times, you just have to kind of look in front of you. You see taillights, and you think, I think I'm in the right direction. I'm just going to kind of keep going towards those taillights in front of me. And of course, if we're just hoping that those taillights are not going off-road, um, perhaps already had uh, flown off and were following foolishly. When I think of this idea of, even as Pastor Nate talked about last week, of running this race, of running hard, of pressing on, of striving towards the goal, of looking ahead, what are we looking ahead at? Are the markers that we're looking ahead pointing beyond themselves to the true destination? Or are they leading us astray? And that's exactly what Paul is getting at in our passage this morning. So if you're in Philippians chapter 3, we want to look at verses 17 to 21. So Philippians 3, 17 to 21, we're going to read through the, the section, the, the entirety uh, together of that, that paragraph, and then we're going to unpack it uh, section by section. So Philippians 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. A wonderful passage uh, this morning. Again, we're going to look at this section by section. First, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. We are to actively watch and imitate godly examples. Actively watch and imitate godly examples in our life. Paul instructs them to watch his example and those whose lives point ahead. In this life that we're they're running, this race, this Christian life, we're running. We're running with others. Some are ahead. And we can look to them in order to keep our eyes forward and continue to live faithfully. The question is, who are we watching? The truth is that each of us is watching someone. 
We're mimicking or replicating things that we see, things that we find desirable. Who are you looking to? Who are you following? Paul says, join in imitating me. He's not saying this in a, in a prideful, look at everything I have together. But as he told the, the Corinthians, right, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Look at my example. It points beyond me to something greater. But who are we watching? Chris Martin gives a staggering statistic. He says this, the average Christian spends more time on social media per day than they spend in church-related activities per week. What, what that means is many of us are spending more time being surrounded by those who are projecting a certain image of themselves to the world around them then we are faithfully observing Christians who are faithfully serving the Lord and worshiping and interacting with others. D.A. Carson is helpful here. He says this, Look around the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't emulate the self-promoter, the strutting Christian, the self-promoting peacock, the person who is always strong. Look around for the people who've suffered a bit. Look around for the people who've been tested and stayed firm. Look around for the people who have wept and put down deeper roots. Emulate such leaders. It's easy to self-promote and project a certain image. It's easy to do that if we see somebody just momentarily. It's easy to do that as, as we observe people online. But how are people in real life? How are they loving their families? What are they like behind closed doors? This takes time to know. It requires, it requires doing life together, understanding each other. It's a purpose and intention even of, of small groups. Being involved in small groups, getting to know each other on a deeper level, doing community together. If your only connection is just kind of large, large group worship service, I'd encourage you, be strategic. Join one other small group kind of thing. Sunday school, Wednesday night Bible study, small groups. It allows us to get to know one another. To see how each other operate in the Christian life. So who are you imitating? And second, think about this. What are you doing to look ahead intentionally? If Paul's saying, hey, Look at me, imitate me, look at these, these qualities. What are we doing? Right? Who is further along in the race than us? We have to be careful of thinking this only in terms of years run instead of maturity gained. There are some who are still immature in basic things in the Christian life, even though you've run for many years. As Pastor Nate mentioned last week, there's a spiritual stagnation that results from an attitude of arrival thinking that you either know it all or you, it doesn't really matter that much. Right? Remember, Pastor Nate talked about last week, there's usually two categories that some people have, either things I know, like we kind of have like things I know and things that aren't important enough for me to know or that I don't need to know. Well, that's not an attitude of those who are spiritually hungry, of those who desire Christ. In this passage, Paul instructs them to watch him closely, to be on the lookout for examples like him, to follow. 
So what is this kind of example? One commentator gives several kind of uh, indicators based on what was already stated in the book of Philippians. So look at this. Emulate those who are interested in the well-being of others, not their own well-being. So they're more concerned with others than themselves. See that in the life of Paul? Emulate those who have proved themselves in hardship. How many of us just, we don't even need to be told that, it's simply happened in life. People who have suffered well for the glory of God. People who have gone through hardship and remained faithful. We can't help but notice. We can't help but be drawn to that. Emulate those whose constant confidence and boast are in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Paul says, hey, this is, this is who I was. These are all my qualifications, but guess what? They're nothing. They're rubbish. They're garbage. They're dung compared to Jesus. Who in our life is making much of Jesus? It's easy to follow after those who make much of themselves, right? Who draw attention to themselves, but they're not worth emulating. And Paul's saying, hey, if you want to emulate somebody, emulate me, and, and these are characteristics of someone worth emulating. Emulating those who are continuing to grow spiritually, not those who are stagnating. Who are those who are hungry, who want to grow, who want to learn? Not those who have this sense of arrival, but those who are desperately hungry to learn and grow. Some of those who have had the biggest impact on me are those who are more mature in the faith, and yet they want to learn and grow from me. Because they say even I have something to offer, like they can learn something. We're starting here, what, seven, seven and a half years ago, um, and you know, Scott Steiner asking me questions, wanting to learn and grow, valuing my input, right? somebody who is much further along the road than me, somebody who is enduring hardship faithfully and yet wanting to, to learn and grow. Like That's somebody you want to you be like. That's somebody you, you want to emulate those kind of qualities, somebody who's desperately eager to learn and grow. Are you intentionally looking for these kind of peoples, th- these kind of people, these kind of examples? These are the taillights that are on the road ahead. Not the ones that are, that are drifting off and, and going off-road and doing other thing. These are the ones who are on the road. And looking for people like this is, has been a practice throughout church history. Like people of, of looking at others that we can emulate. Jonathan Edwards had 70 resolutions that he made and he desired to keep. In fact, I have a poster of them on my wall in my office. And two of them relate specifically uh, to this topic. Here's what he said. Resolved, if I hear anything spoken in commendation of any person... If I think it would be praiseworthy in me, that I will endeavor to imitate it. Right? So if, if I look at anybody else and I'm like, wow, that's, that's a really good quality. If that quality is going to be good in me, I want to do it. And second, resolved, 
always to do that which I wish I had done when I see others do it. You see somebody being kind to somebody else. You see somebody supporting and serving others. And you're like, I wish I would have thought of that. I wish I would have done that. Edwards is like, I'm make, making a list of things, 70 things I want to just keep and just continue to look over for the rest of my life. And like, this is one of them. If I see somebody else doing something, I'm like, I wish I would have done that. Boom, I'm jotting that down and I want to do that. Like that's spiritual maturity. Spiritual immaturity is, is jotting that down and saying, well, they, they probably are doing it out of selfish motives, right? It's kind of analyzing that and kind of like making ourselves appear better in the light of that. But spiritual maturity is saying, wow, I see great things in others, and I want to I, I follow after that too. Maybe it's that simple. It's, it's noticing practical Christ-likeness in someone else and seeking to imitate it if it makes sense in our lives. Are we noticing it? Are we looking for it? I think of an example even in my own life. I remember uh, spend uh, a few years of ministry as a youth pastor in Pennsylvania, and there's, there's some things, like, it's just you don't remember as much. You're like, hey, I don't remember, like, every sermon that was preached there or different things like that. But I do remember specific moments of, like, I want to be like that. And, and one was the, the custodian at the church. Uh, just, just an offhand comment she made, and she said, uh, somebody was saying, well, do you, you guys want to go down to Florida, kind of like move there permanently because you visit sometimes? And she said very clearly, no, I have no desire for that. God's doing great things here, and I just want to be a part of it. Uh, that'd, be, that'd be great, and we'd have, we'd have a good time there, but God's doing amazing things, and we, we want to stay and be committed here and be a part of what God's doing here. Tremendous impact on me. Somebody who's uh, serving faithfully, somebody who's, who's kind of re- retirement age, and no, we just want to f- serve faithfully. Now, if you go to Florida, that's not me busting on you. If you're, you're streaming in uh, um, from, from Florida right now, I know we have a crew down there. This is not, this is not me taking a shot at you. Uh, enjoy that rest up, come back, and serve well. Um, but that, that kind of selfless service is a motivator. It's something that stuck with me. Uh, we should be aware that, um, that we have a lot of impact over what other people, of other people's Christian life. Just by being a member here at First Baptist. Just by rubbing shoulders with other people. The way that we, the conversations that we have, things that we say. We're impacting people in ways that we don't know. I'm sure she has no idea that impacted me. She'd be embarrassed to think it would impact me. And yet, it, it does. So people in local church, people that we rub shoulders with, it, they have tremendous impact. And we can also learn from the universal church. Right? We can learn from, from those who are serving faithfully right now around the world, missionaries. We can, we can learn from those who have come before, martyrs in the faith. Right? We can learn from, from Christian biographies right? of, of faithful Christians. Right? What, what are you doing to surround yourself with, with people who are faithful in living the Christian life? Who are people that you can look ahead to and say, I see this in them and I, I want to be like that. 
And then you yourself. Can you say with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ? Follow me as I follow Christ. It's much easier to verbally profess a theology than to consistently live that theology. Or to put it another way, it's you can betray what you say by how you act. Likewise, you can overcome your inability to properly articulate what you believe with the way that you behave. This doesn't take away from what's confessed and verbalized, but it does mean that what we do matters. And this seems like something today that the church is learning the hard way. That what we do matters. And there has been a pattern, and you see this often, of celebrity pastors who are failing or things like that, and it's a tragic thing we should, we should weep. But there, there's, there's a tendency to press into kind of authenticity to the neglect of personal holiness. This idea of, um, well, I'm just a sinner like everybody else. True, I'm, I'm sin- but also, as, as Christians, you're called to holiness. You're called to sanctification yourself. And there's been a pattern, I think, in, in the church in, in general of, of promoting kind of skills and abilities above sanctification and godliness. We often see this as kind of like the fall of megachurch pastors and things like that, of easily promoting somebody based on skills and not seeing and, and, and observing kind of the sanctification, that, that slower process. And they begin hiding under this idea of uh, authenticity and, 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 and even being scared to say in phrases like, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? And yet that's exactly what we see Paul saying. Follow me as I follow Christ. And, but the qualifier is important, right? As I follow Christ. Right? Don't just follow everything I do, but follow me as I follow Christ. There should be pursuit. Here's an important thing. Authenticity cannot be a replacement for personal holiness in pursuit of Christ. We should live authentic lives. We should live true, real lives before others. But those true, real lives should also be lives of pursuit. Pursuit of Christ. Not perfection. This isn't putting a show and saying, be exactly like me in every single way. This is... don't understand that because if you're like me exactly or if you're like Pastor Nate, you're just going to be messed up in a whole different way. No, but if there's any glimpses of Christ you see in us, chase after those. If there's any glimpses of Christ that you see in, in leaders in those around this church, chase after those. But are you personally living a life worth imitating? I don't mean living solely to be imitated, right? We don't want to project the holiness. But are you able to say, I'm not perfect, but if there's any glimpses of Jesus in me, follow those. It's spiritual pride to say, I've made it, be just like me. But it's robbing the Holy Spirit of his work if we fail to acknowledge any good produced in us. 
Our lives should have areas where people can see past us and see what God is doing. Is this true of you? Well, Paul turns his attention from kind of focusing and watching and, and being active in, in looking at these, these positive examples to avoiding certain negative examples. So avoid walking like the enemy of the cross. We see this in verses uh, 18 and 19. For many of whom I have now told you and I even now tell you with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destruction, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Avoid and walking as an enemy of Christ. If we're following and watching people, it matters who we get our cues from. Some were getting their examples of the many enemies of the cross. Paul mentions that there are many, and that's been an ongoing thing. It's kind of debated who exactly they were, but it's clear that they did have kind of some influence um, and association with the people and kind of influence over them. Perhaps even those who claimed to belong to Christ, but proved in their actions that they did not. So Paul lists some of their characteristics. First, enemies of the cross are ruled by their desires. Instead of Christ being prom- primary, these enemies were ruled by their desires. They're chasing after what they want in the moment. This is what Paul is getting at when he says their God is their belly. The language isn't just limited to things they eat. Instead, it, it represents um, not only kind of gluttony, but all their other vices as well. Right? Those desires which draw us away from Christ, the things which rule us and drive us instead of being under our control. We live in a time when our desires rule. Right? Think about the Christmas season is particularly associated with that. We want more gifts, more presents, more stuff. Parents can be tempted to overspend to get more in order to make their kids happy, to keep their huge appetite satiated. And this isn't just for kids desiring stuff, but it's for parents who desire to keep up with the Joneses, right? You know, not like the actual Joneses that that live down the street, but those people who post the picture of their Christmas tree with all the Christmas presents underneath them. Like, oh, if I'm going to post a picture of my Christmas tree, it needs to have a lot of presents. Or else it's not worth posting. Right? There'd be a temptation there. Right? There'd be a temptation of, like, of, of doing things and uh, in, in, in buying into this mentality uh, simply uh, to kind of feed these desires. And, and it's ironic, the event that we're supposed to be celebrating was about a king who gave up comfort and privilege, a king who humbled himself by becoming like us for our good, an event that centers on a manger. But this event that centers on a manger can be overshadowed by excess and extravagance. An event that tells us all we need is him, pushes him to the side for the sake of our pride and our desires. And it's so easy. It's so easy to fall into this trap. Of even those who say, well, this is, we're, we're about celebrating Jesus and we're, we're about that. And yet it can be so easy to let desires, to let other things rule in their place. And, and Paul says that these, these enemies of the cross, they glory in their shame. They glory in the very things they celebrate, the things that should bring shame. Instead of turning away from themselves towards something greater, they're turned in on themselves and feeding their desires. 
Enemies of the cross give in to desires instead of dying to self. And this is the opposite of what Paul is modeling. He gives example of himself and others who put their preferences and desires aside for the sake of God's glory and the church's good. The appetites of the flesh are never satisfied. They demand more and more. Perhaps you've fallen into addiction or you know someone who has. Trying to overcome that by giving in to desires doesn't work. It only leads to further and further addiction. The porn addict eventually drives deeper and deeper into the addiction and image bearers begin to lose their status in his eyes as those made in the image of God and become mere objects for fantasy. It affects not only the online action, but the way the world is perceived. The shopping addict who thinks one more purchase, one more click, will bring what they need, finds that it's only one step further out of reach. That new purchase also needs new accessories. Not only should we be careful of imitating those who are ruled by their desires, we should be careful of falling into this ourselves. To bring back one of Pastor Nate's examples again, are we holding up bags of manure as our glory, as our celebration? Are we wearing it as perfume to impress those around us? Instead of giving off a sweet smell in a world that sometimes stinks, sometimes we can be chief contributors to the odor. And we see where they're headed. Paul says the enemies of the cross are headed for destruction. Now Paul's attitude is one of empathy. He wept. Part of his weeping was probably associated with the influence they had over the church. He may also have been concerned about their lifestyle. But one thing that's pointed out specifically is where they're headed. The trajectory of their lifestyle is destruction. And here is something that we should keep in mind. Enemies of the cross should provoke empathy, not envy, in God's people. What has more gospel impetus? Those that understand the trajectory of sinners or those who desire to live like them? Here's the reality. We can be more concerned about winning in this life than winning people to Christ. Are you jealous of those heading for a dangerous destination, or do you weep? Are you jealous of those who are heading for a dangerous destination, or do you weep? Do you weep thinking of the future of others, or do you weep in jealousy over their present? Augustine is helpful here. He says, love God and do as you please, because a heart that is trained to love God will do nothing to offend the beloved. How is your heart trained? Is it trained to desire God above all else? To long to see his glory? This is the life of true joy. Living for ourselves, living for our own desires, demands that we are the center of the universe. If someone offends us, and the offended person is the only person that matters, well, we better make that right right now. Because they just sinned against God. 
if that's how we're seeing ourselves. Right? Like, wow, that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, drastic, like I'd never fall into that. Okay, okay. Um, have you ever been driving, right, and, and somebody cut you off, and immediately you think, how dare you? And have you ever been driving as well and cut somebody else off and they honked at you and you said, how dare you? It's okay. Like, how dare you? Do you understand? Like, I'm just in a hurry. Like, you need to cater to me. Like, I'm in a hurry. You should know this. Like, even at a four-way stop, this can happen, right? Like, like you kind of, like, wave somebody on, then you get mad because they don't go right away or something. It's like, you should know my thoughts. I wanted you to go first. And now that you didn't, I was the humble one. I was the kind one. I was going to let you go, but now I'm going to go. You have that kind of attitude, right? It's so so easy for us to, like, like, it's okay if I cut you you off, but you cut me off. No. No. It's not going to happen because you offended the majesty. Right? It's so easy for us to do that. Right? When we place ourselves at the center, like, we're so quick to be offended. We're so quick to make everything about us. Because that's how we're living in light of. But instead, instead of having our, our attitudes as, as these enemies of the cross who are just living for themselves and and, and glorying in their own situation. Instead, if, if we center Christ and what he's doing, then we're able to, to weep. Right? We're able to see people as Paul sees them. Are, are you serious? This is headed for their destruction. I want their good. I, I, I don't want that for them. It allows us to see our, our, our proper place and privilege as, as Christians, as those who have been saved out of sin into a new way of life, into a freedom. Do we understand this? Are we resting in this? Like, we get a great privilege of being ambassadors of Jesus. We don't need to be as offended about sin against us and say we can be grieved. We can understand that the person is in desperate need of Jesus and apart from his grace is willingly running into destruction. How do you view those around you? Do you view those who are enslaved as sin? Do you view that as some kind of like jealousy? Like, I I wish I could be enslaved like that? It's easy to fall into that trap. It's easy to place herself in the center. And yet... As we look ahead, do we notice people who, who are on the right track? Who are keeping Christ as center? Who can help us uh, realign us with practical examples? Well, another motivation that Paul gives is, is in verses 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Third, we should acknowledge our present citizenship and our future hope. Our present citizenship and our future hope. Christian, you are a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. What does this mean? Well, one idea is that their homeland informed the way that they acted and what they did. This happens today in a lot of different ways. 
Um, uh, last night, we had sausage from Pennsylvania. Right? It, was, it was in our freezer. Uh, our, our, my in-laws came to visit, but it was, it was in our freezer. We, we had sausage from Pennsylvania and uh, sausage and sauerkraut, and, and uh, we'll, we'll probably get some more when we visit uh, near Christmas time and have that for New Year's. My wife continually teaches our kids to say soda instead of pop. Right? Because she's from Pennsylvania and wants to preserve that, that legacy. Right? Right. Uh, she cheers for Penn State uh, in, in, uh, in Michigan. So as, as people are, are saying Michigan, Michigan or Michigan State and big rivalries, she's wearing her Penn State gear. Right. Uh, and there's, uh, she, she's not the only one. There's, there's many here at First Baptist who do similar things. We have Iowa fans. We have Wisconsin natives. Uh, others uh, who are dwelling with the trolls here while their heart is, a part of their heart is in the UP. Right. Uh, when I was a youth pastor in Pennsylvania, uh, 40 minutes from Penn State, I would wear the maize and blue, right, uh, every Saturday right, and represent uh, Michigan uh, in Penn State territory. Right. There are distinguishing markers from where we grew up or an area that we had great impact on us. And we kind of preserve that and kind of hold on to that legacy. Well, in a greater way, each of us is part of an eternal homeland. Its practices and privileges impact the way that we live today. We should also understand this in the context of Philippi as a Roman colony, since this had great implications. I think about it. Many were proud that Philippi was a, kind of a, a little outpost of Rome. They were citizens of something far away with all its privileges that it brought. And with that, there's a, there's a, there's a contrast. There's, a, there's an understanding that Paul's kind of driving home when people are kind of proud and, and glorying in this Roman citizenship. Uh, David Garland gives four uh, different ideas that this relates to. Paul implicitly inserts that Caesar is not Lord. The Roman Empire was often referred to as Lord and Savior by claiming Christ's lordship. So one thing he says is, our citizenship is in heaven. We await the Savior, the Lord Jesus. In other words, your citizenship, where you belong, is something greater, is to Jesus. He's the ultimate Lord. He is the Savior. Second, the Philippian Christians enjoy the rights and privileges of the heavenly commonwealth. Just like they were able to enjoy certain, uh, citizen, being citizens of Rome, there are certain privileges, there are certain rights that come with it. So as citizens of heaven, there are certain rights and privileges that we have. Right? This, this idea that you are citizens, this isn't future, this is present. This is today. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are a citizen of heaven. With all its rights and privileges. You have access to the king of kings. You, have, you are an ambassador of a greater kingdom. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The homeland requires its citizens to put the needs of their city ahead of their own. There's a desire that you represent more than just you. You're part of something bigger than you. Which means that we're citizens of heaven. 
Just as Roman colonies function as microcosms of Rome, the Philippian community is called to exemplify the values of the heavenly realm. So us as a, as a local church are an outpost of the heavenly kingdom, showcasing what heaven will be like. To kind of summarize these ideas, understanding our citizenship is in heaven changes our present perspective. It helps us understand that our primary allegiance is to Christ and also informs the way that we live in this world. We are living for the good of the heavenly kingdom and its citizens, not just ourselves. We set aside our preferences for the good of the community, and we live faithfully to give others a glimpse of what heaven will be like. There's a danger to read this verse. They think, well, I'm a citizen of heaven. Well, well, that means, well, if the earth goes downhill, I belong to heaven. So that's all right. But we should see something more profound. We now belong to heaven, and one day heaven will come to earth. Now we get to give others a glimpse of that day. More than giving us kind of a callousness towards the world around us, it should give us a fresh way of seeing it. We see the fallenness of the wor- this world and the things that don't align with God's will, and, w- and we see these as things that will not last. What will last is all that is good, true, and beautiful. What will last is you and me. As a bride prepares for her wedding day, we prepare for the coming of the groom. And we do that now. Here's, here's one. It's so easy to lament and be like, like dismayed at things that happen in this world. But our kingdom, our, our allegiance is to a greater kingdom that will never end. Like, do we understand that? Like, do we live in that confidence? Do we understand that joy? That heaven now is breaking in and one day Christ will return and set all things right. Like, like there's no way for evil or wickedness to flourish and win. Evil, wickedness is a corruption of the good. It's a perversion of the good. It can't exist on its own. It's like rust on a Michigan truck. Rust can only exist as there's metal, as there's something for the rust to corrode. But if there's no more metal, there's no more rust. It's dependent on the good. It can't exist on its own. So it is with evil and wickedness. It can't exist on its own. Its days are numbered, and it knows it. And yet... There is a new kingdom that's breaking in, and we are a part of it. (laughs) Do we understand that? Like, we get to live in light of that? Are you serious? And we sit and complain and moan about life being hard. Yeah, life is hard. But there's a short time for us to race well. Life is hard, but we're not alone. Life is hard, but we're part of something much greater, something that will never end. I'm getting a little off track. That's, that's, that's not in the notes. We're getting fired up here. All right, so Christian, you're a citizen of heaven. Uh, two, we run toward victory from victory. 
toward victory from victory. We have a guaranteed victory because Christ has finished the race. He has, he has won it. He has a new body. He has resurrected body. That is the first fruits of what we will be like. Like Jesus is raised in victory. Do we understand that? Like as Christians, like we're running towards that. Like he has already secured that. Like he has the trophy. And we have the privileges of it. And now we get to be a part of that. Like, this is, this is running and racing, and life seems difficult, life seems hard, things are hard, but we know that we're going to win in the end. That changes everything. And because of this, we can have the boldness to be different, to stand for Christ. To live for him in this world. And often that looks hard. Blaise Pascal wrote this. When everyone is moving toward depravity, no one seems to be moving. But if someone stops, he shows up to the others who are rushing on by acting as a fixed point. So everybody's heading in one direction. And somebody simply stops. They stick out like a sore thumb. People are unaware that they're moving until they see the fixed point. They're unaware of, of the direction that they're moving until they, they see something steady. You understand that's what we're called to be in this world? That's what we're called to be as, 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 a, as a local church? A, a steady point, an anchor, fixed firmly on Christ and his word? And we're running towards the one who will transform us. Listen to this. We await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Listen to this. We run toward the one who will transform us. Like as we chase after godliness, we're doing so secure in the one who ran perfectly and succeeded. He has that new body and he will transform ours. As our bodies get weary, as our, as our spirits, like, are, is, is, we're, we're struggling as we strive in this life, we know it's not in vain. We're not running to earn something, but to encounter someone. The one who ran the race ahead of us. The one who stands waiting at the finish line. The one who, like the father uh, with the prodigal son, is having his arms wide open and racing for embrace. And that's where we're at right now. The father waiting to embrace. Jesus, the son, longing to transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. He will change us by his power and he will make all wrong things right in this world. The book of Revelation tells us that one day every tear will be wiped away from our, day, our eyes. A, a day when, when we have new bodies that will see him face to face. What an amazing hope that is. So we'll, we'll transform it like you have a glorified Like Some of us were like, give me that body today. Like life's hard. It's hard to get out of bed. Like things are difficult. Like I, I long for that day. 
And some people perhaps even got a greater struggle as I'm looking forward to kind of overcoming that and not having that in the life to come. There's somebody like Joni uh, Erickson Tata, like, like she was paralyzed at 17. And, and, and she, she prays this, looking forward to her future heavenly body. She says this, Lord Jesus, I can't wait for the day when I will rise up on resurrected legs. The first thing I will then do is drop on grateful, glorified knees. The question all of us must answer is, where are we going? Where is our destination? If you're trying to win Jesus' affection now by how great you're running, you're misunderstanding the gospel. The gospel is the good news that the victory has been secured. And this is true for all who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. He is our hope. It's to him that we're running. If you aren't running this race, you say, I'm here this morning. I know I have never trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. We invite you this morning. Trust in him. Join the race. Link arms. Let's run together. I'd love to have you a part of that. Like, talk to us about Jesus. We want to talk to you about that. Somebody brought you this morning. I'll talk to them about Jesus. And I hope that if this is you, you can see glimpses of him in the people around you. In this building. In the people who identify themselves as followers of Jesus Christ. That you can look to their lives who point beyond themselves to something greater. Let's long to be that this week by his grace. And let's rest secured that the victory has already been won. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for the victory that is available in Jesus Christ, who came to live in our place, to die in our place, and to secure the victory for us, to give us right now to make us citizens of heaven, all who belong to him. And Father, help us to live in light of this. Have this impact the way that we live this week. To be those taillights off in the distance, pointing others beyond themselves to King Jesus. This in his name we pray. Amen.